This is the Three to Win Podcast, sharing optimal steps to win your day, month, and year. Your money and your life are like crossroads, and when they meet, true success can be discovered. Our Real Talk conversations are about creating fulfillment throughout your life's journey. And now, here is the Life Architecture team. Welcome to the Three to Win podcast. Thank you so much for being here. So I am Rich, and also we have John and Matt. The three of us are part of the whole Three to Win podcast team. We are so grateful for you being here. If this is your first time, welcome. If you've been here before, welcome back. Today, we want to talk about something that we think you guys might be able to relate to. We're going to talk about makers, takers, and fakers. You might be wondering, what's that? We're going to explain that to you because I think we all know. Now, first of all, if you're listening to this podcast, if this is the kind of stuff that interests you, if you're subscribed, we're 99.999% sure. Is that a number? You guys, finance guys, is 99.999% yeah, actually? Yeah, okay, whatever. Just I, not a thousand percent. We're 99.9% sure, if not more than that that you fall into the maker category. But we're gonna define for you loosely how we see makers, takers, and fakers. Guys, is it okay if I throw out the definitions real quick? Let's do it. Do it. All right, so a maker is exactly what it sounds like. It is somebody that, and, and y'all, now we're talking about in your personal life, in your work life, in your business life, in your relationships, in your family, you can fit this anywhere you want. A maker is somebody who creates, who shows up, who's there to make the world better, who's somebody who would adds value. They're a value-added human being. They're the, they're the folks at work that if you work overtime shifts, they're the ones that you want to work side by side. If you own a business, they're the people that when you go on vacation, you're grateful they're running the shop while you're out of town. Those are the folks that you just, that that's you guys. They want to make the world better. They want to make themselves better. They want to build. They want to build other people up. They want to create. Takers are kind of the people in life that they're somewhat out for themselves on the lower end of the spectrum they just kind of show up they do the minimum got to do what they got to do but they're really just there to show up get what they got to get and get out on the worst end of the spectrum they're the ones that you know when you go down to, to lunch with them on the lunch break they always seem to forget their purse or their wallet upstairs or that family member that just needs 500 more dollars can i just one more time and i'll never ask you again those are the takers now fakers we all know that the fakers are the folks that kind of go through life trying to look a little better than they really are. Matt and John in the finance world, those are the people that make $50,000 a year, but they live like they're making $75,000 a year. Those are the folks that you know in your life that at work, they pull in the parking lot and they're driving some kind of car. You're looking at it going, how in the world? They must have some family money or they must have hit Lotto or something. How are they doing that? But really they're sinking down under. They're, those are the folks that are just trying to, as we used to say back in my day, they're fronting. Do you know that? Because John, you always make fun of. I always come up with words that are like old school. Do you know what fronting means? When you front? yes, come on, I'm not. Are, okay, so all right, Mr. Millennial, what does fronting mean? <laughs> that means you're. That means you're faking it, isn't it? That's, I mean, isn't that in it, essence? You're fronting. You're, front, you're faking. You're, front, you're fronting it. You're there. You go. All right. Thanks for putting so, me on the spot. Well, dude, whatever you always say. I'm a maker, time. dude. I'm a maker. I'm gonna figure you're this a, out. You are a maker. You are, and and you know what? Like you know what? Maybe your favorite oats come from the Quakers. That's a whole other different group. That's a Quakers oats. That's a that's you know what that is, John? You know that's oatmeal, right? Quakers. Oats, I, I like got that. Hey, okay, just for all the listeners who you know, we're gonna get awkward for a second. Remember we talked about protein back in the day. You're acting like an. This is your protein, by the way. You're acting like an angry ostrich. 
That's your protein. But yet I'm still a bird. Somehow I went. So everybody, we were talking one day. I don't even remember how we got into this. And I was just talking about like, we were talking about protein and I don't know what, what it was, but I compared Matt to a, Matt, were you the- Who even you knows? Were, you were a an bison? elk. No, I made him an elk and you were a bison. And I said to John, if I was a protein, what would I be? And he had its panic look. We don't anxiety. think as fast as you do, Rich. You're I, going a I mile a minute. We're, we're slow finance I, guys. I don't think fast. And John, meaning well, said, well, the best, most like, you know, he said like, like the cleanest protein is like a turkey. And I was sad because I wanted something turkey. better than that. So he called it's me a lean turkey. turkey. So now he's all proud of himself because he just came back with, an ostrich. angry, an angry ostrich. That sounds like a restaurant. Doesn't that sound like a cool, like twenty twenty themed restaurant? The angry the ostrich. Ang- the angry ostrich, or like a really bad biker bar. Uh, Yo, you do, dude. I'll meet you at the angry uh, ostrich. It's like, a, it's like a new age hipster bar. Uh, no, it's ostrich. an angry. That's an angry biker bar. I'll meet you at the angry ostrich, dude. <laughs> right? Don't you think? All right. So let's talk about this a little bit. So first of all, let's let's just really just give a shout out to the folks that are listening to this because we're we're pretty sure you're makers. You know, John and Matt in your world. How do you see makers in the finance world? Like you're you, and, and I'm not talking asking you to call it a specific client. I'm not talking about that, but but you know, in the finance world, and I'll I'll, I'll make it more broad spectrum as well. But how do you guys see a, a maker? What are they? Yeah, we really get a unique perspective because we've talked about this before. Um, that when we meet with a, a new pers- pro- prospect to our financial planning firm, um, you know, people we've said this before, financially undressed. You know, we ask them some very difficult questions, and we we really get to the core uh, and and really can see not what they're saying, but really the facts behind it. And so we, we oftentimes have seen all three of those and we really look to surround ourselves with makers, right? We, we don't want to work with a faker or a taker. You know, we really want to work with someone who has that, uh, you know, either that entrepreneurial spirit, if they're on the, on the business side or if they're an executive or if just a hard worker looking for some good financial guidance, we, we want that maker. Yeah, I think their personality type is someone who um, focuses on saving, puts their head down, they do the hard work. There are 11 million millionaires in the United States, and the vast majority of those 11 million millionaires are what one would define as the millionaire next door. You know, the guy, the, the, the guy or gal, the couple that you didn't necessarily know was a millionaire, they cut their own lawn, they do the hard work, they put their head down, and they, they're very serious about creating financial independence and that, you know, it, it happens in so many different areas of their life, but in the financial world, I feel like that's kind of how we would, how we would look at it and define a maker. When I read that book, um, when it first came out, if I remember correctly, the thing that surprised me the most is it said, um, if you were to guess what the number one most popular car of a quote unquote millionaire was the number one vehicle, what would it be? And it was a Ford F-150 pickup truck. Am I right? Do you guys remember that from that book? And I think that was the thing that jumped out. One of the three of us happens to drive a Ford F-150 pickup truck. Emulate what you want to be. That's it. Did you just call him a wannabe? Oh, no, that's not what you said. No, No, but I thought that, no, he's not. He's a real a He's a He's a bumblebee. Real a bee. He's an insta bee. But I think the, the coolest thing about this whole idea of makers is those are the people that, you know, we, we came up with a couple of different um, ways to define a maker, like words. And John, the one that you used, um, that you threw out, which jumped out at me was compassion. Makers tend to be compassionate people, right? I mean, when you work with them or work for yeah. them. Yeah, of course. I mean, they're, they're compassionate. They care about others within their community, their families, whatever. They're also, you know, they're also very dependable people. 
You know, I mean, a, a maker is someone, my mom always told me, um, this is a funny quote that I grew up hearing, but if you need something done, ask a busy person to do it. And you know, that just, that stuck with me because the reality is how many of us know that someone who's a taker, somebody who, you know, they've got a wide open schedule. And if you ask them like, Hey, could you do me this favor? It gets done in like three months or maybe never gets done. But you could look at someone that's like a high achieving, hardworking person that has like the busiest calendar in the world. And you say, Hey, can you do this same exact task? They'll probably get it done for you that day. And it's and just the difference. Yeah. And that's why probably a lot of the makers that are listening to this right now, you're probably the person, if we're talking about we're, we're right now isolating this to work, but you're probably the person that at work gets assigned things the most that the boss always comes to or the leader or the executive always comes to or your manager always comes to and says, would you please do this? Can you please take this on? Can you please? And sometimes that becomes kind of tough because makers end up being in the workplace the ones that carry the the most of, of the load because they are, as you said, dependable. Also because they're compassionate, they care about their team. And in personal world, if we flip this and let's take it out of business for one second, if you're a maker in the personal world, you're that family member, you're that sibling, you're that child that the family always looks to, to, to you know, fix every situation. You know, mom and dad need this done, the basement, this is leaking in the basement or, you know, sister, sister, you know, Joanne needs a, a ride from, from work, her car broke down again. The makers are always the ones that are the dependable ones that everybody goes to go always. So we've got compassionate, we've got take, you know, takes ownership, dependable. Matt, did you have any with that as well? I think there was, I think you threw out talking about um, uh, being proactive, like how they're, they're the first ones kind of, they get stuff done before you even ask them, right? Yeah, I just, you know, that, that's a trick that I've just seen with a lot of the makers is, uh, you know, very dependable, responsible, um, and you can just count on them. Uh, and, and it's a very easy trait to identify, I think, at times. All right. So that's the easy one. And that's what most of the people that are listening to this. So let's talk about the takers for a second, because I think the takers are people that they kind of drain us a little bit, you know, like if they were in, and I remember in our last podcast, Matt, you talked about the series of books that you're reading your kids. What, what was the series called again? The Super Secret Monster Patrol. So I think if in the Super Secret Monster Patrol books, the takers would be vampires. They are the ones that drain you. And I think, you know, like I said, they're on a spectrum, right? So it could be takers or just like the kind of people that, that just kind of show up to do the minimal they got to do. But on the highest end, they're the ones that just are constantly in need of being bailed out. Sometimes, sometimes literally, like literally you get a phone call and you got to place bail for somebody and they're that family member. And I don't know about y'all, but everybody's got that one cousin that's like, what, they're in again. You know what I'm talking about? But, you know, sometimes they're the ones that literally need to be bailed out, but um, they're constantly all they care about. Like they're the ones that will call you on, like you never hear from them. Like there's cricket, there's nothing. And all of a sudden you just get out of nowhere. You get the random the random message or the random text or the random email, or all of a sudden the phone rings, you got that friend and the phone rings and you're like, oh, so-and-so's calling me. And you know in your head, when you answer that call, you know exactly what it's gonna be, right? Have you guys ever had that experience oh, in course. your life? Well, and it's, and it's the, it's really, it's the opposite of compassion. You know, I mean, we're talking, we're talking about makers and how they have compassion. I would say takers, you know, they, they really, they, they actually lack that. They're looking for ways to either shift blame or not take, the personal accountability of a situation. If you think about it, it's actually the opposite of compassion, right? Yeah, and everybody needs help, right, Matt? I mean, everybody, I, like, we, I, I'm, we're not talking about, like, periodically needing help. We're, we're talking about personality types here. Yep. And, and do, do you guys both agree that as coworkers, as family members, as friends, 
that if somebody's treading water and they're going under, it's okay to throw them a life raft, right? It's okay to throw Absolutely, them a yeah. All right. So what we're talking about with takers though, is here's what ends up happening at work and in your personal life. You know, you've got to know the difference between throwing somebody a lifesaver, throwing them a life vest and giving them your boat. Okay. Cause there's a big deal. Like Matt, you have a boat, right? Cause you're I'm the a boater, boat. Yes, yes. All right. So you loved your boat, right? You take care of your it. boat. You wash yes. it. You look at it. You think about, do you ever dream about your boat? All the time. So you dream about your boat. Right. And so you, it would be very unlikely that you would give somebody your boat. You say, hey, take my boat, right? But if you saw somebody, like if you're going fishing and you saw somebody floating in the water, you're gonna, you're gonna help them, you're gonna give a flotation device, you're gonna bring them on board, you're gonna take care of them until they can get help from the Coast Guard, whatever. But what we, we saw, all- hold on, timeout, sidebar story about the time that Matt actually saved someone's life. <laughs> Can we See? talk about that? Wait, we got to we got to address yeah, that. Yeah, I, I have PTSD that, that about analogy it. Analogy actually yeah. did. Yeah, it was it was a it was a really crazy uh, experience. Something that I I struggle with honestly to this day because uh, I made some foolish decisions during that save. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't have my own life vest on, and that that does really bother me. I think about mm-hmm. it. But um, yeah, I was at an island, and um, uh, someone's leg uh, was leaving on their boat. Uh, a man was standing on the bow. Uh, the son was was steering the boat. The, the wife or, or someone else, a female, was on the boat. And as they were pulling away from this island, uh, trying to retrieve their anchor, the uh, line wrapped around uh, this man's leg, and he went under. He felt slipped off the boat and went under. And um, I was standing on on an island, uh, putting my kids in our boat, actually getting ready to leave. And I saw this, and I. I swam after him without a life vest on. And as we all know, someone who's drowning will take anybody else down with him. Absolutely. Uh, myself and someone else jumped in and uh, we were able to get the line uh, removed from the guy's leg, brought him up to the surface. He did survive. Um, the boat was running, propellers moving, um, and I'm here in the water. And now that I've exerted all of this energy, I can't swim back. I'm, I'm out of breath. We're in 20 foot of water probably. Uh, so I go into my float which I learned from my ISR instructor when I was three years old and I went directly in my float and made it there. But yes. Um, so yeah, that was a crazy time in my life, but uh, I learned so many lessons from it. Um, and uh, yeah, that, 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 I still have nightmares about it. This day. The well, definition for, of a maker right there. <laughs> well, and here's the thing. I think the quote of the podcast for me is someone who is drowning will take anyone down with them. Yeah. Now, let me be clear because I, I just want to be clear. Don't, don't, don't dig into that to the extreme. I'm not saying that we never, none of us, or we never experience moments where we are drowning, where we are going. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about somebody who is perpetually drowning, who is always drowning, who never seems to be about, who never can get it together. Someone like that who is drowning will always take you down with them. And Matt's note about he jumped in the water because he's selfless and he's a great guy. He jumps in the water to help somebody, but he forgot to put his life vest on. You know, if you think about firefighters and you think about what they do, they show up to a burning building. They don't jump off the truck in their fire pants, you know, their firefighter pant, uniform pants and their t-shirt and run into the building. You know, most of the time they're already geared up or if not, they're throwing their gear on. Usually they gear up before they get in the truck, but whatever. They've got their fire protection gear on that protects them so that when they run in the fire to save somebody, they're protected because if they're not protected, they can't help another person. That is not selfish. 
That is not selfish. And too many people spend too much of their life jumping in the water without a life vest and running into fires for other people without, without their fire gear on and without protecting themselves. So, um, sorry if my voice just changed, my mic moved really quick, sorry about that. And I just want people to think about that. I want you to think about what you do in your life as a maker and how many times you run into that burning building for somebody else, but you've not protected yourself first. So I want, I want to have that out there. So let's, let's talk about the fakers really quick. Um, in the finance world, how do you guys see a faker? How can you tell a faker? If I came into you or if you encountered me in the world, how do I look like a faker? In the world of stocks, you know, everyone has quote unquote made money on a stock. And all we end up hearing is my friend did this, bought this stock, it grew to this and he made all this money. I, I think, but what you fail to hear is the losses that have occurred um, prior to that one potential win, which we don't even know what it is. Um, so, you know, we, we hear this all the time and we are very much, especially with our business about the long game. This isn't a short, um, this isn't get rich quick, it's get rich slow. And I really think that that is how we approach our practice and how we approach our clients. And I think one of the, uh, one of the traits of a faker is someone who only talks about their wins and doesn't talk about the other things that have occurred to get to that point. I've noticed that with, I've noticed that with people in my life that are gamblers, that they always yeah. talk about the time they went to Vegas and they hit it big, but like they never tell you about the time that they like, you know, had to hawk their watch, you know, to be able to afford airfare to get home. So, um, you know, for me, I noticed that the first time I encountered fakers that really got to me was when I was in my 20s. I would say my mid to late 20s. I first started working as a nurse. I was making, you know, a decent living, but you know, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't wealthy, but I was, you know, doing well. And I had some friends and I remember I, had, I had purchased my first house and I, I'm going to make up the number. I don't remember, but I think my first house was like 114000 or $118,000. And I remember when I went to get qualified, the, the person that was qualifying me for my mortgage gave me some big number. I don't remember what it was, but you could qualify for whatever, 350,000 or whatever, some big number at the time. And I was like, no, you know, I'm, I'm good. This is fine, whatever. Um, and I was driving like a Chevy Cavalier. John, do you know, have you ever heard of a Chevy Cavalier? Yes. yes. <laughs> because they don't, they don't make them anymore. You do. Okay. Everybody, I want you to Google a, a Chevy Cavalier. It was cool. It, it, it ended up going underwater during a big rainstorm in Miami and was totaled. It was very sad. Um, but anyway, I, I had friends who started at the same time I started and they were living in like this like five bedroom, six bath house. They were both driving very expensive German cars. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what am I doing wrong? And I, I worked overtime. And I remember even saying to my wife, I was like, you know, man, you know, I, I don't know what, like, or, you know, and I, I talked to my older brother who was really good with money and I just couldn't figure it out until about four or five years later when these folks lost their house, their cars got repossessed. And I realized that they were, as I said back in the day, fronting. They were maxing out credit cards. They were maxing out what they could pay. They were maxing out everything that they could do. And they were living a lifestyle that was above their means. Would you guys say, especially if you go in the financial world, would you say that's like red flag, danger, 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 when you see that in a client or in a person? Yeah, that's the proverbial keeping up with the Joneses mentality where 
Rich, do you know that? Do you know that term? It's a newer one. Uh, I don't know if the fifty-three-year-olds out there have actually heard of that. We see. We could do this too, Rich. We could play that game. You could. I'm not doing it in a disrespectful, condescending way. It's just sometimes, like, I say stuff, and John will look at me like, "What?" And then I feel bad. But John, I got to say, John is an old soul. So for being the the thirty-something-year-old here, he's like a like a much older soul. So I, he's, and he's very smart, but anyway, well, that's you very could, sweet of you to say. Yeah. I think, well, in the mentality of somebody, I'm a sweet, I'm a sweet ostrich. You're a sweet ostrich. That doesn't, that sounds not as cool of a restaurant as the angry I ostrich. I agree. But I think the mentality of somebody who's trying to keep up with the Joneses, unfortunately, when you interact with people like that, you tend to see like, they're kind of like the know-it-alls, right? Like they seem yep. like they know everything about every topic. Yep. And I feel like that's kind of how, you know, it's easy to, to pick that up pretty quickly. Like in our world, um, you know, we've, we've really been intentional about how we're creating our financial advisory firm, the type of people that we want to work with. And it's within that first meeting that we have with somebody when they, when they're talking the talk and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, cool. Let's, you know, let's look at some supporting documents. Like let's look at the tax return. And then they start clamming up and they're like, well, well, hold on one minute. And you're like, oh, okay. So this is, you know, that's, that's the proverbial keeping up with the Joneses, which frankly, like that's maybe a systemic crisis within our country that, that people are like, you go for a home and it's a hundred thousand and they're like, and a mortgage broker is like, oh, you could qualify for like four or 500,000. That's crazy. That, I mean, that shouldn't happen. Um, we shouldn't be lending the way that we do. And when people hear that they can get a credit card that has a $10,000 limit, they assume there's someone out there on the other side of that equation saying, yeah, you're like, your income proves that you can do this. It's okay. Next thing you know, they're in $10,000 of credit card. Well, and, and you know, everybody's at a different level of what they understand about money. And I just, I remember a funny story about a friend of mine in college who, um, you know, had a checkbook and was writing checks. And then all of a sudden, the checks started bouncing. This is a dead, honest, true story. Yeah. And their response was, I had no idea because I still had a bunch of checks in the checkbook. Like oh, they, like they oh did goodness. not, no, that's the truth. They, they literally thought I have checks so I can keep writing checks. Like, and, and, and what, you know, they were a young person. They didn't know. And I'm, I mean, I'm just saying like everybody's in these different things. So here's the important. So we've kind of defined makers, takers, fakers, right? So we've defined like how they kind of look in the finance world. We sort of defined like what they look like. Cause in the work world, you know, the faker is the person that shows up work and just flat out lies. Like they're, they could care less about the team. They're worse than a taker. Takers there for themselves, but they'll still show up and do what they got to do. Fakers are the ones that get nothing done. They step over lie. somebody to, to get they, that promotion. Ex- exactly. And they're the ones that will steal your stuff, steal your ideas, take credit, all that kind of stuff. So for the makers in the world, how do you deal what, what do we think if we were to talk it through in our advice, in our life, in our examples, how do we deal with the takers? What's like, like, and if I could round robin it, and I don't know which one of you guys want to go first, if you wanted to give one little kind of, I'm going to throw out how I think you deal with a taker, either professionally or in your family. Because I know when we did our pre-talk, Matt, you kind of said something about about what you would do with yeah, the takers. I, I, you know, I, I just would distance myself from them. Why, why have negative energy in your life and why be surrounded unless you have to be because of, uh, you know, a family member or something like that. But I, I would, I distance myself. So I can identify a faker pretty easy. Um, and that's just not someone I want to be around. And life is too short to be around people you don't want to be with. And, and that's... I think you're right. And I think a lot of makers have what I would call a, a speech impediment in that they have a hard time saying the word no. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. They get the text, you know, you know, Matt, you know, I just, I need $250 to pay my electric bill. I know, I, I know I haven't paid you back from last time and you just go, oh, okay. You know, and then you keep well, and doing sometimes it. that's the path of least resistance too. And we're, as a maker, you're super busy, you're involved in all these other things. And for you to just pay this, to, to, to just make that go away so that you can focus on what excites you is sometimes the answer you go to. And you're at that point, you're just continuing to enable. Yeah, you're well, jumping, a, you're, ju- a, you're, ju- you're jumping in the water without the life vest. Exactly. Yeah. Go ahead, John. Sorry. And that's in that situation. I mean, that's a really hard, difficult conversation to have. So like to echo Matt's comment, you just, you'd rather just not have it. Like you'd rather just, oh, okay, you need, you need $500 for XYZ. Sure. Here it is. Cause you'd rather not have that hard conversation about the path that they're going down in their life. Cause then all of a sudden you seem like the judgmental bad person. Well, I think that's you- like the good and bad of right. being a maker, you know, that kind of puts you in a leadership role, whether it's your company your your, your staff, your family, it puts you in this leadership role. And sometimes there's like some not so good things that you have to do when you're a maker. Well, and you, you're the one that said makers are compassionate. So part of being compassionate is it's hard when you're a compassionate person, when you see somebody suffering or, you know, you've got a cousin who's got, you know, three kids and they've, they've made endlessly poor decisions and they keep screwing up their life and they keep doing dumb things. And then they call you for money to pay the electric bill. And yeah, you're mad at your cousin, but then you're thinking about, you know, their, their two-year-old, their eight-year-old and their 10-year-old and your compassion is you want to put the electric on for them to help. But the, the thing with takers is they will, they will use that as a weapon. They will use that as something to manipulate. Yeah. Takers are very manipulative people. They tend to be the people at the end of the spectrum. They know what words to say to get the makers to cough up the money, the time, the resources, et cetera. So I agree with Matt's perspective of distancing yourself from a taker, especially in the scenarios in which you can, um, because that's what this all, like this whole, this whole show, this podcast is about being a better, being a better person, a better version of yourself. And you, if you're going to do that, you need to be surrounding yourself with other makers. Um, but in scenarios where you can't, if it's family, if it's whatever, um, I think I mentioned on the last show, I'm reading this book called Crucial Conversations. Maybe mm. you need to read that book <laughs> to be able to understand how you have to step up and have a very impactful, crucial conversation with someone who's a taker that's, you know, really close in your family circle or, or whatever. Because in that situation, it, it is difficult to distance yourself. Do you know what show that I, I don't know if you guys have ever watched this TV show. Um, I think it's on a I'm not sure, but it's called Intervention. And yes, I, sir, yeah, I, I know. I, the, the show just breaks my heart, but it's usually people, and we probably have many listeners who, who are on, on their sobriety journey. So we salute you for that. But it's often some very painful stories about some people who are at the extreme of their addiction and they require an intervention. And a lot of times with, with their family and their loved ones. And a lot of times on these shows, the storyline uh, of the storyline, you know, you have the family members who for years have been just giving to these folks and, and even aren't put in such difficult. I mean, I've heard literally like people saying like, I would rather give my daughter the money for, you know, drugs, knowing that, you know, I can take her there so she won't get hurt. I'll drive her to the drug dealer's house. And you sit there watching this and, and some people could judge and be like, how could you do that? But this parent is in a position where they're so compassionate. They, they're, they're not ready at that point 
to do what they have to do. And then the interventionist interventionalist comes along. And then there's what you just said. There's a crucial conversation where they sit down with the person and they say, I'm not doing this for you anymore. I'm not helping you anymore. And if you end up on the street, if you end up in this particular situation, don't call me because we won't. And, and you think to yourself, wow, you know, wow, good for them. But then you kind of put yourself in their shoes and think how hard that must be. But I think that's the key to this. I think, you know, at work, if, if it's that person who's constantly coming up to you and saying, can you please fix this for me? Can you please do this report for me? Can you please clean this? Can you please, you know, can I borrow? Can, can you use your tools? Or I'm really behind. Look, if you got to bail somebody out once in a while, it's okay. But if, you know, it's the same person over and over again, at some point it's, it's, it's saying, listen, crucial conversation time, whatever you want to call it, but we're going to stop this right now. We're not doing this anymore. Easy to say, hard to do. But I think as a maker, if you're a business owner, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a leader, it's having that person where you just let them know, hey, listen, this is the last time I'm doing this for you and here's what to expect moving forward. If it's a loved one or a family member, it's finally putting yourself in the position where you're putting on the fire protection clothing and you're saying, I got to take care of myself right now. And like as Matt would say, I'm going to kind of push you away. We're done. This is maybe the last time I'm doing this. And maybe I'll give you some advice on what you have to do so that the electricity won't get turned off next month. But maybe it's tough love time, you know, and that's how it goes. Now, with the fakers, they're the ones that are, you know, you know, especially those are the ones that are kind of showing up in our lives that are pretending to be something that they're not. And they're different than the takers in, in, in a couple of ways. But I think the treatment, the treatment for that disease is the same thing. I think the fakers in our lives, for me, they got to get called out. I think when you have a coworker, a colleague, or a peer that is not carrying their load, or an employee, if you're a leader, who is not carrying their load, who is not doing what they have to do, they're not only a burden to you, but they're a burden to everybody who's working around them and everybody's working side by side. In your family, if you've got somebody that's doing that, that's always presenting themselves to be more than they are, that I think sometimes to be the compassionate person is to maybe sit down and have that conversation with them and say, listen, you're hurting yourself by doing this. Ultimately, the folks that are listening to this are trying to make themselves better. How you make yourself better as a maker is you continue doing that. And John, to your point, you surround yourself with other people who have the same mentality. And I think the more people that you, if you build that tribe around you of people who are builders, who are makers, then it brings out the best in you. If you have those monster patrol vampires who are constantly sucking the life out of you or the money out of you or the time or the work out of you, then you become drained. You're the it's one that the goes super secret monster patrol. Sorry, the super secret monster patrol. So I just, you know, I, I, I just think like there was a quote from, I think it was Benjamin Franklin who said, either write something worth reading or do something worth writing. And I think I love what that, what that quote says, because he's saying like, you know, in your life, make sure that you're doing things that are, that are, you know, you know, valuable enough and important enough that it would be worth writing about. And, and I think a lot of makers get frustrated because that's what they want to do, but they feel drained. So Matt's advice of either distancing yourself, I think is, is, is the extreme. John's advice of, you know, maybe, you know, having that conversation with somebody where you set an expectation. Here's what we've done in the past. I'm going to do this for you this time, but here's what's going to happen in the future. And here's what I need you to expect. And when you do that and you stick to it, I think you go in the right direction for that. So I think for all the makers that are listening to this, thank you for making the time. Um, 
to listen to this podcast. Thank you for taking the time to make, you know, to, to be here so that we can share some of these thoughts with you. Don't get frustrated. Don't let the people in your life, you know, take away from you. You're here to make the best life that you can make for yourself, for your loved ones, your significant others, your families, your businesses, you know, build yourself up, surround yourself with the people that are like-minded. Um, we're grateful that you guys listen to these podcasts. We're grateful. And we hope you get something out of it. Please feel free to share these podcasts with anybody that you think might like it. We're grateful for you. Keep making success. Keep making a better life. Keep making your happiness. Thank you so much for listening to the three to win podcast. You guys have an awesome day. Thanks for listening. Three to win is a podcast for the high achieving self starter that understands there has got to be a better way to maximize their potential. You can help us create impact by sharing this with a friend or rating and reviewing our podcast. 